Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. And I can use different methods to correct you, but get back on track because my plan for you is I want you to have olive trees. I want you to have big trees. I want you to be fruitful. I actually want you to be fruitful. And that the Lord would say the same for you and I today. Like he wants you connected to the vine so that you could be fruitful for him. It, it's advantageous for him. Like he wants that. That's his, his goal for you and for myself. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can develop an incorrect mindset of who God is. If we're not careful, then we can go through God's correction and think that that's all there is to him. Maturing in our walks with God is to know the different aspects of his character and his will towards us. Many of God's promises are to our benefit, even the ones where he promises trials and hardships, because eventually they work something good in us. In today's message, Pastor James shares about God's character. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Haggai chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. I got another word from God. He's saying, I'm with you. Emmanuel, God with you. It's like, well, you don't want to kick us to the curb because we've kind of been slacking off in the last 16 years. It's like, no, I actually would like to work side by side with you. So it's just beautiful how that the Lord just knows how to speak a good word at the right moment. Even in the midst of correction, he knows how to come alongside and say, hey, don't lose sight of this. I am with you. Verse 14, it says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They got stoked, is what he's saying there. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So he's like, man, they lit a fire underneath him. They're like, let's do this, right? Like, yeah, oh man, yeah, we've, we've lost track. Let's, let's get back on course and let's finish what God has started, so to speak. And they don't even have to finish it because it's he who works in you both to not only to start the project, but to complete the project that he's working in and through you. So good word for them. And then he goes into like messianic type future prophecy type stuff in here in chapter two. So in the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. Okay. So this is around close to around when the festival of tabernacles would have been going on. He gets another word. The Lord says, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, like get everybody together, saying, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing, right? So he's, he gathers the ones who had seen the temple before, Right. And I have this quote from Warren Wearsby that says, the good old days are a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. Okay? Like, 
The good old days are nothing but a combination of a bad memory and a good old imagination, okay? Haggai has to gather everybody and he's like, all right, you remember what the temple used to look like and now what it looks like. And he's not doing this to bring them down or anything. He's doing this to like really to kind of encourage them of what's to come. Okay, he's kind of setting the scene for them. He says in verse 4, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. There it is again, says the Lord of hosts. Be strong. Another quote from Warren Wiersbe is, God's commandments are always accompanied by his enablements, if we step out in faith. So if God is calling you to do something, he will provide for you whatever that gifting or ability that needs to be there, he will take care of that. But your part is to step out in faith. Like if you're waiting for like, this is how we do it when the Lord calls us to do something. Okay, Lord, I'll do that when you do this. And he's like, that's not faith. That's, that's you taking control of the wheel and telling me what to do. I'm telling you, go do this. And you're like, I can't do that. And he's like, I know. I know. It's called faith. Okay? And it's not an absence of like intellect. That's not what faith is. You can do the math. You can count the cost. But part of counting the cost of following Jesus as a disciple is to take steps of faith that you don't understand. You got to take a step out there. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work out. I feel like you're telling me to do this, and a good portion of me feels like I'm going to fall flat on my face. But even if I do that, is that a fail? I mean, is it really a fail to like step out into something you think that God's calling you to do? I mean, we in the church, I think we, we just kind of like, we sometimes beat each other up for getting it wrong. And I think there's this element, and maybe we don't do it, maybe it's just an internal thought process that we have that in, inhibits us from taking a step of faith, because we think like, well, what if I get it wrong, and what will people think of me? Who cares? Who cares? At least you got out of the boat, right? Twelve disciples, one got out of the boat, right? Did he sink? Yeah, totally. But at least he got out of the boat, like he took a step of faith. Did it make sense to walk on water? Not at all. No, it didn't at all. But Peter's like, hey, can I come out to you? And Jesus is like, come on, let's go. He's like, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to go for it. And he got his eyes off the prize, so to speak, and he went down. And that's fine. Jesus was right there to pick him up and throw him back into the boat. If the Lord's calling us to do something, sometimes he's asking us, like, just take the step. He didn't ask us to understand it. He's not always going to provide the, like, step two through ten. He's like, just, do you want to do this? Do you want to go for it? I really do, but I, the math doesn't add up. It's not what I asked. Do you want to do this? And you could get it wrong, and I can get it wrong, and you fall on your face, and that's fine. But my goodness, I, I always, I'm always reminded, the pastor that I look up tremendously, Britt Merrick, taught on this. And when he was going through the book of Acts, and he's like, we feel like we have to nail it every single time. And then if somebody goes out because they feel like the Lord's calling them to go out and to do, do something, and if they fail, then they come back feeling like failures, like losers. But we're like, no, that's not true, because at least you tried. At least you went out and did. 90-something percent of the church doesn't do anything. 
at least you went out and tried. Like, so the Apostle Paul, would he be a failure throughout all his missionary journeys? As he's going to the door, to the, basically the door of different countries, and he's knocking on the door like, all right, Holy Spirit, is this one it? No, Paul, that's, I don't want you going there. Okay, I'll try again. No, no, he got a lot of no's. Was he a failure? No, he's not a failure. He was just, I'm going to try this. No, not, that's not it. Okay, I'll just keep on going. I think we need to function more in that mentality than like, I don't want to make a move because I'm afraid of failure, which speaks to my heart. Okay, perfectionist, this is paralyzing to you. You're like, I can't get it wrong. Says who? Says you and only you. God's like, well, let's just see what happens. I think he's more of like, hey, I don't know. Let's go for it. Let's see what happens. He's your loving heavenly father. He's your Abba. He's your Papa. He's like, hey, step out in faith. You might get it wrong. That's fine. At least you learned a lesson, right? So then we don't have to go there. We know that, okay, that's definitely not what the Lord has for me. I think we, we got to function within this realm of like, man, if, if God's going to call you to do something or is asking you to step out in faith to do something, just take the step. See what happens. See what happens. I don't fear heaven at all. What I fear is like standing before the Lord and him being like, ignore that mountain of possibilities that I had for you in your walk with me that you chose not to take a step of faith with. You know, it's, it's that type of stuff that's like, because that's a perfectionist mindset. That's how we work, right? But the Lord, he's so gracious and loving. He's like, hey, here's a new day. Here's a new opportunity. How about you just take a step? Why don't you just trust me? You guys like cartoons? You should. They're way better. Well, they used to be better. Now they're all like political and stuff. Whatever. Woke. Uh, I don't know. My favorite was, though, was Aladdin, which I guess is controversial because I don't know. It's dumb. When movies were good and we didn't look too much into them for anything other than entertainment, there was this moment between Aladdin and Jasmine. She's the princess. He's the pauper, basically. And he's on a magic carpet, right? And he cruises up to the palace and he extends a hand to her, and he's like, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And she hops on. They sing one of the most beautiful songs ever. It's amazing. I could sing it word for word right now, but I'm not going to. But it, it's that moment of like, do you trust me? And I think there's more moments of that between God and us than what we realize. Where he's like, I, mean, I could show you some stuff. I can take you on a ride. Like, I can show you some things. But do you trust me? I'm not going there. You're like, he's, he's going to do it. No. The old theater James is about to break out. That guy's been suppressed for many years. Anyways, I think that's here in this story, the Lord's like, he's stoking the fire of these people. And he's like, I called you to do this. I've done everything for you. I got you back where you need to be. I just need you to take a step of faith and to trust me. That's all I need you to do. And you can trust him. I'm, I'm going to tell you that right now. It may not work out like you think it's going to, okay? But in the end, it all works out somehow, okay? I wish I could be more clear on that, but I can't, because I can't even be clear on that in my own life, where the Lord's called us to step out in faith. How's that going to end? I have no clue, no clue. But man, I am anchored in not just Hebrews 6.19, where it's like, Jesus is my anchor, but also in Romans, Romans chapter 8, where it's like, Hey, man, he, we love him, 
we are called according to his plan and his purpose. And so with that, all things work to the good of those who love him and are called according to his plan and his purpose. So how does it work out? I don't know, but in the end, it works out. So I can trust that, and you can too. And so could these people. And so the Lord fans the flame and stokes that fire in their heart again. And they're like, yes, let's go for this. But then he paints this beautiful picture for them of what's to come. And he says in verse 5, according to the word that I covenanted with you, when you came out of Egypt, thus reminding them of him setting them free in a different time, right? Like, I brought you out of bondage in Egypt. I also brought you out of bondage in Babylon, right? So he knows how to set us free. He knows how to rescue us. So my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. There it is. One of the 365 times in your Bible where it tells you, do not fear. Do not be afraid. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, and it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And they're looking at this temple that they're working on, and they're like, really, this one? He's like, no, not this one. He's like, I'm talking about something else. But I'm using this to kind of spark that thing inside of you to where something greater than the physical temple is on its way. And this could be, you know, kind of alluding towards the church as the body of Christ, with Christ as the head of the church. This is obviously pointing towards the Messiah going to be showing up. And then it also could be speaking of the future temple that gets new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, all that fun stuff. He's just, he's, now he's, he's seen way beyond the horizon here. Verse 8 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. He's like, I own the silver and I own the gold. What's going to be built? And, and, and yeah, I know there's, an, you know there's this immediate temple and all that, and there's going to be another one. He's like, look beyond that. What I'm setting up, what I'm building is going to be way better than any of you guys could ever come up with. He owns the silver and he owns the gold. Might be good to underline that verse. If you're like, the U.S. dollar is diminishing. He owns the silver and he owns the gold, okay? Uh, I don't know, buy a bunch of that. I don't know, but (laughs) he's a good shepherd. He knows how to take care of you. He knows how to take care of you. Verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment... And with the edge, he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food. Will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, no. Okay. So this holy meat, right, doesn't make anything else holy. You can't transfer holiness. Okay. You can't transfer holiness. I can't like throw my hat that has my sweat particles onto you, and you're like, this is holy, now you're holy, right? Like, that's not how this thing works, okay? However, there is something you can transfer. Okay, you might not be able to transfer holiness. However, he says, Haggai says in verse 13, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it become unclean? So the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean, and they're right. So you can't transfer holiness, but you can transfer uncleanness. So God's like, I'm trying to make you aware of something, right? 
We need renewed vision. We need renewed courage. But we also need renewed holiness. We need renewed holiness because you're working on my house. And if your hands are filthy, I can't have you working on my house. So he's like, holy things don't make other things holy. A holy chunk of meat's not going to make you holy. All right? It's just not. Right? But, you know, some dude touching a dead body and then touches you, well, that's going to make you unclean, okay, according to Old Testament standards and everything. Verse 14, then Haggai answered and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, what they offer there is unclean, all right? So that's another thing of like, hey, we need to get busy, get back on track, but we also need to focus in on our current state before, before our God. Is it uncleanness or is it holiness? Verse 15, and now carefully consider from this day forward and before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, there were but 20. Verse 17, I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and in the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. So he's, he's just kind of like bringing the cause and effect into the scenario of like, you know, hey, because there's uncleanness within you, it's going to be a direct result in these things that I'm allowing to take place within your life simply to get you back on track, right? So he can strike you with blight and mildew. But he's saying, if you do the math, like there's a cause and there's an effect, like you're getting frustrated by these, these things in your life right now that, that aren't necessarily pleasant or good. Could it possibly be because you're not living a life that is holy? Okay? And if, if that's the case, then, well, let's make this right. Let's just make it right. Consider, here's another, that familiar term for us. Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, and from the day that, that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not yielded fruit, but from this day I will bless you. So here's the Lord saying like, I'm making you aware of this so we can fix this because my heart for you is really to pour out my blessings upon you. Like, oh no, but you're, you know, I thought you were the bad guy, the grumpy guy in the sky. Like that's who you are, right? Who like just wants to squash us all the time. He's like, actually, that's not me. That's what the enemy would like you to think of. But however, what you need to understand is when you're off track, I have to help you get back on track. And I can use different methods to correct you, but get back on track because my plan for you is I want you to have olive trees. I want you to have big trees. I want you to be fruitful. I actually want you to be fruitful. And the Lord would say the same for you and I today. Like he wants you connected to the vine so that you could be fruitful for him. It, it's advantageous for him. Like he wants that. That's his, his goal for you and for myself. So fix whatever needs to be fixed, so to speak, and let's get back on track. And this last little, little bit here, verse 20, 20 through 23, kind of this renewed faith, so to speak. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month saying, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile nations. I will overthrow the chariots 
Those who ride in them, the horses and their riders, shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, who is also a part of King David's lineage. I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. So he's got this general word for the the population of those who have come back, but then he closes it out with a specific word to Zerubbabel, who serves as the governor, as the leader. He's like, hey, I got plans for you. I got plans for you. Wherever you would fit within this story, whether it be like a governor, a high priest, a prophet, or just a worker, your role is significant. Your role is significant. Your role is important. And regardless of how that makes you, if you feel like I feel unnoticed, no, 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 you're noticed by God. You're noticed by him. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to keep working. Same for Zerubbabel. It's the same for us. Like the Lord knows who you are. He knows his plans for you. He, he knows all that stuff. He wants you to be encouraged. And even though nobody else notices or nobody else sees or nobody's giving you a pat on the back, I'm sorry for that. But please know that God does notice and it matters. So keep working. Keep doing what, you're, what he has laid out for you to do and stay on track. Stay on track, okay? The Bible is filled with stories, men and women that we love, we absolutely love, and an unfortunate percentage of them are ones who start really well but don't end well. And I would hope that that wouldn't be true of us. Like, I don't know what your start is like with the Lord. Maybe it was messy. I don't know. What matters is how it ends, is how we finish. And He's got you where he has you because he has a plan. He has a plan. And it's not about you. It's about him and the grand scheme of his kingdom. So we want to fulfill whatever it is that he's called us to do that. Sometimes that takes like getting back on track. Sometimes that means being encouraged by him saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. You got this because I got you, right? Sometimes it's a matter of like getting corrected, like, yeah, you're compromising too much. You need to knock all that stuff out and let's be holy for I am holy, right? Like, let's get back on track spiritually as well. Let's finish the job. Let's end well. Let's end well. So we don't know when the Lord's coming back. I feel that he, it doesn't matter how I feel, but this is, I'm just telling you, it feels as though it could be any day now. Now, I understand. I have a lot of friends who would completely disagree with what I just said and would say, no, no, it could be thousands of years from now. I don't understand that logic. But regardless, I don't care. Like, my life is a vapor. So it really could be any day. Like, me seeing Jesus, whether it be rapture or just my expiration date has come and now I'm standing before him. Like, I want to finish well. I want to be like be seen by him by, by doing my father's work, right? Like that was the model that Jesus laid out for us. And it's like, yeah, I want to be about my dad's business. Okay, you called me into this thing and maybe it's a mess. Okay, sweet Lord, but give me the strength I need to, you know, with you working in and through us to turn beauty from ashes. So he wants to do that. I think he probably wants to do that more so than what we give him credit for, if I'm honest. That's what we want to do. So let's stay on track. Let's stay focused. Renewed hope, renewed vision, renewed, you know, holiness, renewed faith. Let's just, man, let's just keep our eyes on the Lord. Let's finish well. Hope to the hopeless hope.
Have you ever noticed how little kids try to get away with something? Like sneaking a chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar. They think they've succeeded, except for that smudge of chocolate left on their cheek. Talk about a tell-all sign. They can't see it, but anyone who looks at them can. Misbehavior has a way of being found out, just as wrongdoing can't hide in the light of God's truth. We see this in the stories of the minor prophets that were sent by God to reveal the sin and the traps that the people of Judah fell prey to. But in the midst of it all, we see Jesus fighting for his people. How? Through these messages. Through continually picking sinners up by their bootstraps with convicting yet encouraging words to live fully surrendered. You've just heard from Pastor James Grizzle and the ministry of Bread for the Broken out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today, and our prayer is that you'll find exactly what you've been looking for. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening service. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to help us spread the good news of the gospel, then click on that donation tab. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all that we have for today's edition with Pastor James Grizzle, but we look forward to meeting with you again here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.